I'm going to show a video. Let me see here. Hey, Todd, remind me of how I link my iPad. I thought if I pulled up, I thought if I pulled up the bar, there's nothing there. I'm online. Okay. Well, we won't spend much time on. Okay. We were talking last week as we're finishing this this sort of introductory. Uh, as long as it's been, kind of an introductory um, inquiry into what we're called to do as Christians as it regards our neighbor. And We've said first and foremost that, and we've got, to, we've got to believe this. If Christians don't believe this, then it will fail. That if we do not fear God, then we cannot love our neighbor. That the one has to precede the other. Now, there will be some monkey see, monkey do out in the world, as the world observes a way of life that works, God predicts that, God encourages that, God approves that. We talked about Deuteronomy 4. The idea is that if Christians are loving God, then they cannot help but love their neighbor. But why? Why is that? Because they're going to be seeking the things of God. They're going to be seeking the things of God. When we meditate on His ways day and night, we cannot fail to change. Because we have a Holy Spirit who will write that law on our heart, impress it on us. We've prayed several times lately on Wednesday night as we're, as we're having intercessory prayer, we've prayed for God to more quickly show us our sin. And really that's what happens when we are meditating on Him, when we are seeking Him, when we are honoring Him, when He has the first place in all things. then that's what's going to happen. John said it well in 1 John. He said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It is just for Him to forgive our sins. We can't wallow in our sins thinking that it is unjust of God to forgive them. 
We can't be those people that are always beating ourselves up. We want God to show us our sin. Maybe our sin is that our focus is not on Him. Our focus is on us and we are still ruling as God of our own universe. And that's the biggest human challenge that exists. So, if we love God, what does it say? You love me, you will keep my commandments. And they're not grievous. My commandments. That's that's another misconception that we've had, that I've certainly had, is that God's commandments are petty. I read the Old Testament about leprosy rules or, or, or rules pertaining to worship procedure and things of that nature, and somehow I get it in my mind that, and I heard a preacher say this one time, I literally heard this when I was a boy growing up, in terms of explaining baptism. Well, God just picked out getting wet. If He had said, put our nose on a stick and circle it 12 times, and we would please Him by doing that, then that'd be He'd have just as much right ability. It'd make just as much sense was what He implied. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. First of all, The nature of baptism is not to satisfy God. It is to get into Christ who did satisfy God. So, there's a beauty. There's a beauty even in those those Old Testament procedural rules if we'll think about them, if we'll meditate on them, if we'll assume that they have a beauty and hunt for it, then they will will become beautiful because they are beautiful. God is not the God of the pagans. He is not capricious. He is not arbitrary. He is not spiteful. He is love, and He is good all the time. So we said, that's where we start. And then flowing out of that, flowing out of that is love for our neighbor. Flowing out of that is a continually repentant relationship with God. Not as somebody groveling. That's how the pagans operate. But repentant. Knowing that what God desires is good. Perceiving that in our spirit through His gracious provision of the Spirit. And turning around. Turning around. Metanoia. 
It's a beautiful word even if we don't under, understand Greek. It's a beautiful word. Have any of you seen the movie Bella? Anybody? Raise your hand if you have. If you haven't, it's, one, it's a movie that I would recommend. And the film company that made it is Metanoia Films. And it is a story of repentance. And it's, and it's beautiful. Really, really, really worth your seeing. The redemption of a terrible situation because of repentance. Repentance is thing one. Repentance is what we were talking about last week, and that's why I began with this. Repentance is essentially what Christians, whether we are saying it out loud or whether we're saying it through our actions, just like Deuteronomy 4 talked about. We're calling the world, just like we are being called, to repentance. That, that is social justice. And social justice can't happen absent of that, except to the slight degree of this monkey see, monkey do kind of thing that can happen when people see something successful. I'm willing for people to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. But that's not our goal. It may even be appropriate for the goal of law. As it, well, I mean, I think we would all say that we might draw the line as to where that would be at a certain different place. But in many ways, the goal of law is to protect people from their own inclinations. Put up a barrier that says, stop and think about this because there's bad stuff coming if you do it. Again, that's not the motivation that God wants His people to have. But it is an implied benefit of the sword of government, whether we look at the Old Testament or the New. But what we are really about is to be repenting. Be repenting people. And when we repent, what we have to be then is joyous on the other side of repentance because we know He's faithful and just forgive. We should be the most thankful people on earth. Every week's a Thanksgiving, as David said last week. Every day's a Thanksgiving if we will train our minds that when, when the Spirit of God shows us our sin, that's good news, guys. That's good news. If God didn't care about us, He wouldn't be showing it to us. And if we're quick to repent and turn around, that's good news for us. That is the way of thriving. May not mean everything everything's, gets perfect all of a sudden. But it is, it is the way of joy. 
So, I don't know if, do we think this is going to work? Okay, that's okay. Last week after class, David approached me and said, hey, I've got a video that sort of relates to this. Uh, and I said, great, because that's what we're wanting. And frankly, we have folks that are involved in ministry. We've got Clayton here today who is in a vocational ministry that is calling people to a repentant way of, of life. And it's beautiful what he's doing. It's beautiful what Frank's doing. It's beautiful the way that Taz works a thankless, really hard job. There are other stories that we could tell here. It's beautiful the way Jimmy drives all the way from Fairview and goes to the, and goes to the jail. These are, these are beautiful things. These are acts of social justice. And in many ways, they, are all, they all are calls to repentance. David, we can't make the video work, unfortunately, so I'm going to give you the floor and, uh, and let you describe, if you would, that, uh, the video that we would have watched otherwise. And if you'd like, you can have the mic. Yeah, dude. I'll I'll try to share this story quickly, so he can have his the rest of his time. <laughs> um, a little bit of background on this for those of you that don't know. Uh, my wife and I we worked in Rwanda the last couple of years of our lives with an organization called Africa Transformation Network, and um, Africa Transformation Network has a number of different ministries. Um, Everything from uh, starting Taekwondo clubs, and within those Taekwondo clubs, uh, they have Bible studies and, and are starting groups of disciples within those Taekwondo clubs. The Taekwondo masters that are opening Taekwondo clubs all over the country of Rwanda, they're disciples of Jesus, and they're sharing their faith with their students. And so there's probably close to 100 Taekwondo clubs now that are actively seeking people and bringing them into relationship with Jesus. So everything from Taekwondo clubs to what I did in agriculture and community development with water wells and in farming. But one of, the, uh, one of the ministries of ATN that maybe is more touching than any of them is the Peace House ministry, which works with uh, street boys uh, who live on the streets of Kigali. And they also work with vulnerable women, uh, women who, through no fault of their own, really, uh, most of the time because they were left by their husband um, or maybe their husband died and they had no other way. They, they ended up working the streets. They became prostitutes. <clears throat> and uh, Peace House began a ministry to seek out vulnerable women um, within that country and begin to help them climb and claw their way out of that, that way of life, which was is, is so destructive. Um, what I know about, uh, from my own personal experience and, and just the way I have seen people in my life deal with women who are in that line of work is that we generally will avoid those types of people for, for lots of reasons, uh, maybe because of 
danger of association. <laughs> um, even street boys, street kids, we might even avoid because of maybe just pure danger of being where they are. And so to watch, uh, uh, to watch the, the team that works with the Peace House at ATN work with these, these boys and with these women, um, it's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible picture of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks in this class, uh, this idea of, of uh, making things right, I guess, you know, make, making things the way that God intended them to be for people in the world. And um, uh, what you said about uh, putting ourselves in a place where God can prick our conscience and help us see sin quickly, uh, I think it's important for us to not just see our own sin quickly, but to also be in a place where God can help us see other people's sin not so that we can bring judgment, but so that we can bring healing into the lives of people. Because we oftentimes get so wrapped up and involved in our own lives that we don't we, we, we find it difficult to actually see the brokenness of other people. Uh, we, we, we find it difficult, not because we don't want to, but maybe just because we don't see it. We, we find it difficult to actually get out into the lives of people and help bring them out of the brokenness of life and into the, the fullness that God intended us to participate in. And I hope that at some point you guys can see this video because it tells the story a lot better than I'm fixing to tell it. But it centers on the idea of shalom, which I, I mentioned last week, this idea of, of completeness in God. Um, it's often translated peace in the Bible. In fact, I think every time in the Bible, you just don't see the word shalom in the English Bible, <laughs> which is, I think, a pity because it carries so much more fullness than the word peace. Um, uh, shalom is a completeness of, of everything, completeness within self, completeness in relationship with others, completeness of certainly completeness in relationship with God. Um, but uh, the title of this video that I want you guys to at some point to see is, is it's a story of shalom. And it is the story of, <clears throat> it's a story of the brokenness of Rwanda, because Rwanda is one of, it's, it's, it's a truly a broken place um, because of the things that happened in 1994, really their whole history of genocide and of brokenness, of no trust, um, and so many broken lives have come out of that, and that's part of ATN's ministry, is finding those broken people and bringing them into this fullness, into this completeness with God. But the video specifically focuses on the story of one lady in the Peace House ministry with vulnerable women. Her name is Beta, and... Um, uh, at one point in her life, she was actually in relationship with a man. Um, they never married, um, but they were, in a, they were in a steady relationship, and a part of the brokenness started right there because they never did marry, and she ended up pregnant, and she uh, went to the hospital early with problems and ended up uh, having to have a C-section, which... You know, C-sections are difficult, <laughs> even in America. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really a, an, it's not the desired way to have a baby, I don't think, most of the time. But in a place where medical stuff is sketchy and questionable, it's even much more serious of a situation to actually go in and have a surgery. So she went in with her, with her boyfriend, uh, the man that was in her life at that time, uh, to have the C-section. She had the C-section. Uh, the baby was born healthy. Uh, she was she was stapled up, 
Um, and then uh, they were asking the doctor, what can I eat? And the doctor was explaining, you can eat soft food. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. The husband left. She assumed to go get food, and he never came back. And so Beta left the hospital. She, was, she had to leave the hospital because she didn't have money to pay. She left the hospital with the stitches still in. Uh, she waited for three days at her house. Her husband never came. Um, eventually took the stitches out herself uh, and ended up going to the streets. And for a long time, she was able to, to maintain. She was able to take care of herself as best as possible by going into the markets, picking food up off the ground that was dropped. But eventually it became too much. Um, and eventually she ended up going to the streets and beginning and selling her body so that she could survive and so her sons could survive. You know, we, make, we, we tend to make judgments about that kind of thing. I think maybe if, if you did a, a poll of top ten sins in the world, prostitution might be right up there. <laughs> Selling yourself, that, that, would, that might be right up there. Um, of course, we know the reality is that sin is sin in the, in the eyes of God. Um, some sins show a greater brokenness than others, perhaps. Um, but Beta existed like this for quite a long time in the streets. Knew a lot of other women in the streets as well. Um, but in the video, she talks about how she just reached a point where she just, she just realized that no one was going to help her. There was no one there for her. She was, she was all alone uh, with no, no way to move forward. That was until uh, the woman, Charlotte, who works for Peace House, uh, in the vulnerable, vulnerable women's ministry, uh, that was until Charlotte came into her life. Charlotte met her in a market and just began to be a friend to her. And began to show her love and uh, invited her to come in and be a part of the, the women's ministry. There's, they had about 15 women at that time that were a part of the ministry. What they did within that ministry was, part of it was just bringing those women together. Part of what they wanted to do was to help them create a community of, of, of women that could support and help each other. They began to teach those women a skill in crafts, uh, uh, making African bead necklaces and uh, sewing purses, teaching them how to, how to do, uh, be, be seamstresses. Um, really simple things, nothing, nothing, you know, no rocket science, you know, not getting them any a degree or anything like that because that was really out of the question. Most of them never graduated from secondary school or anything like that. But it was just bringing these women together. And it was giving these women an opportunity to begin to, to love one another. And those women learned how to do that from Charlotte and, 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 and the, other, the other people who worked with, within that ministry. Um, they began to sit down once a week and they began to have what, what they call discovery Bible studies together. And they would just go through the story of God. And they, over the course of a year, they worked through the entire Bible from from the creation through all the major stories of God intervening and, and working in the lives of, of broken people until the end, until, the, uh, until Revelation, all the way into the, the, coming, the second coming. And those women, all of those women, through that process, they came to know Jesus. Um, now those women, Beta included, now those women have a second group of vulnerable women that are now off the streets, and they're the ones teaching them the skills. They're the ones uh, teaching them the story of God. 
Um, and I, I'm not telling the story as well as the video tells it, but one of the, what, what Beta says in this video, she goes from being a person who had no hope whatsoever. I mean, her life was on track. I mean, she was, she was going to die. She would have eventually succumbed to a disease or something, and she would have died. Her son would have been parentless, motherless, and would have died. Um, but instead... Uh, she was saved. And, and one, one of the things that, that Beata says, and I wish I could remember the quote exactly, but she basically says that, you know, I, I've, I, was, I was lost. I, I had no hope. I was broken, but I've been redeemed. And that redemption came because, uh, that, that redemption came because Charlotte, this wonderful Rwandan woman who has an com incredibly compassionate heart for broken people, Refused to see Beta as trash. Everybody else saw her as trash. She's she's discardable. Just toss her out and just let it be. That's just kind of the way everybody looked at her and and her kind. Was trash and Charlotte refused to see that. She instead saw a woman in need. And Beta says, "You know, I was hopeless. I was lost. But I've been." She says, "I've been restored." been restored and that that is the that should be the hope of anybody uh, that should be the desire of anybody who calls themselves uh, a believer a follower of God is that, that our desire should be to find the broken people whether they're as broken as beta living on the street selling her body to men or whether they're people who have brokenness in them because of dysfunctional families you know, we're all dysfunctional, <laughs> so it should be close in our hearts to find dysfunctional and broken people and show them the message that brings restoration, that brings redemption and fullness and completeness. And um, for me personally, you know, that's going to be one of those stories that I will have close to my heart uh, till the day I die, just because it's, some, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things that drives me keeps me focused. You know, I think it's God's way of being a part of that and knowing Beata and having her in our home a couple of times and, and, and just knowing her personally, knowing her, her boy, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> that, those, that, that familiarity, I think, is God's way of saying, here's how you recognize the vulnerable. Here's how you recognize the broken. If we never get out and experience the broken and experience restoration ourselves, not only in our own lives, but helping other people find that restoration, then it's hard. For, I think it's hard for God to help us see those things. If we remain stubborn and unyielding and unmoving in our personal life, whether or not we, we reach to those people or not. And God, he tweaks our heart and he, or pricks our heart and says, that's a broken person. You know, it's kind of up to us to, to move and take a hand and give them, pull them up. So that's that story. I hope I can show that video at some point. It'd be better than what I just said. So. Yeah, you sure can. David? Rwanda only has two, well, three. Two major ones and a small one, but they all speak the same language, and it's very culturally similar. It's not like most African countries.
Represented in mass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a. And, and given what we know about, and given what we know about the history of Rwanda, that's a big, that's a big deal. Uh, Tim? He was there where I was going next. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I think David said something profound or maybe emphasized a point that I've been dwelling on, and that is repentance has, and I know this because I know me, true repentance has a certain form. True repentance is oriented to God and not oriented to self. True repentance must bring joy on the other side, and unless and until it does, then we have no clear desire to bring joy to anybody else. If, if, if repentance is only ultimately becomes a self-actualization kind of thing, gets me right with God for a little more, for a little longer, then that's a you know that's a deal breaker. Okay, well, I'm really excited you guys have been studying justice, biblical justice. Um, I'll ask the Sunday school hours. It can be a little less formal than church hour, right? Um, you guys will be a little responsive for a second. Satan is known as the father of lies, okay? One of the things that we're encountering in Lonsdale, I'm working with four distinct cultures. Um, those cultures are uh, Guatemalans who are primarily Mayan Burundians, um, African-Americans, and white folks um, in Lonsdale. It's a small community. It's, a, it's an area that's next to a public housing project northwest of uh, downtown Knoxville. Um, we have a ministry there, after school and mentoring program. Um, we have about 70 kids who we have from after school through dinner five days a week. And then during the summer, we have them for six weeks. Um, the... Um, the kids in our program are from all four of those cultures. Um, and then we have a church now that, that is meeting. Um, we meet on Sunday night. Um, we dress informally. A lot of things that go against like what I would like um, and if I was planning it. But what we feel called to do is serve Lonsdale. And we now have the first multi-ethnic church in Lonsdale. Lonsdale has a really deep history of racism, including the church that is literally our neighbor who... We, are, we bought their fellowship hall, um, told black people, you can't be in our church. Um, they wanted to do an after-school program themselves and decided not to when they realized they'd have to take black kids. Um, 
So um, that's part of the history of where we are. Um, guys, are white people the only people who can be racist? No. If anybody wants to talk later about the definition of racism that means that only white people can be racist, I'd be happy to talk to you. But it uh, comes from the father of <laughs> lies. Okay, there's a lot of black racists in Lonsdale. There's a lot of white racists. There's a lot of Africans who are very confused because the cultures they're, they're being taught are evil. Okay? What is the culture that we're seeking to impart when we want people to have a deep sense of justice? It's biblical culture. It's not American culture. It's not white culture. It's not middle class culture. It's biblical culture. I've been really frustrated with Facebook. Danielle tells me to pull on back. But with Facebook around Ferguson, okay? And here's the main things I've been frustrated by. It's not people who I know aren't saved who say stupid things. A person who's not saved is a slave to sin, I mean, are they going to say in, insightful, wise things? No, they're slave to sin. It's, it's pastors who I'm friends with, okay? It's pastors who I'm friends with who are 50 to 70 years old. And when they, these are white pastors, the dominant emotion when they think about race and racism and race riots for them is what? Their dominant emotion. It's guilt. It's guilt. Ah, we can't ever walk in their shoes. I can't know what it's like to be a young black kid. And the prophetic voice that's needed to speak to brokenness in every culture is speaking the truth in love. It's biblical culture. Now, it requires relationship. I can't believe all these people ride and I'm so, ooh. Well, are you mentoring any fatherless kids? Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, and Mike Brown, every single one of them came from a broken home. When Emmett Till was murdered by evil racists, he was in that shop because he didn't want to go to church with the rest of his family. That's how all that happened. Some of y'all are like, what's Emmett Till? You can look later on the internet. Um, but Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin are from broken homes. When Emmett Till was murdered, the out-of-wedlock birth rate for African Americans in the United States... It was below 25%. And when it crept up to 25%, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, there's a huge problem. I think what we're doing with the welfare state is exacerbating this problem. We need to quit helping people subsidize fatherlessness. That was over 40 years ago. Today, the out-of-wedlock birth rate in African-American homes in the United States is over 70%. Uh, from the time that I've worked with orphans in Africa, um, the time I've worked in other cultures, other places, what's the root cause of orphaning globally? Sin. Yeah. It's, it's, is it disruption and warfare? No. Is it um, disease? There's so many Ebola orphans. No. The largest disease in Africa by far that is killing parents and resulting in orphans is AIDS. And the reason that it's so widespread is because of so many people using prostitutes. That's how it spread. It wasn't there's tons of homosexuals in Africa. It's much less widespread actually there than here. But the other types of sexual sin are at the root of all of this. Now, the problem with speaking for biblical justice 
absent relationship is you have no passport into that person's life. This lady who was a prostitute didn't need to hear about her fornication. That's not what she needed. She needed to hear the gospel, the good news, that Jesus loved her. And people, I love what you said about wanting to have the same mindset in repentance as the worst sinner that they can think of, someone who was part of the genocide and killing people. If we have a low view of our sin, then we don't understand the power of the gospel that transformed us, and we can't bring it to others. When we're talking to somebody who's, you know, well, my, my life isn't good. You know, I'm, I'm a single mom. I've got six kids by four dads. It's not helpful for us to say to that person, well, listen, your kids have a great smile, and you're a lovely person. You're wonderful. You've done nothing wrong. You're great. You're so noble. You're doing the work of two people. That's not helpful to that person because what do they need? What culture are we trying to impart? Biblical culture. They need the truth, okay? There's a myth. Didn't plan on sharing that this morning, but didn't plan on sharing any of this. There's a myth in our culture that is very damaging that's in our church culture, and it's the myth of the angel single mom. Why do I bring that up? Because it's a damaging myth. Are single moms sometimes noble and doing great things and trying their best? Absolutely. Are all single moms somehow saints who have done nothing wrong? No. Most of them, not all, but almost all of them are in the place that they're in because of sin. So let's be relational and let's have all of our relationships centered on the power of the gospel. The just, injustice ends when we're making a gospel-centered relationship. I know many of you probably feel the way that I do about that we need to have a strong border and et cetera, et cetera. But do you guys understand what's happening in Guatemala, like why people came here from Guatemala? That on, on the side of poverty, there's another myth. Satan's a judo expert, right? So on one extreme of poverty, people say... Uh, it's all systems, it's all systems, it's all systems. People are basically good, there's nothing wrong with them, it's just injustice and oppression, that's the only reason that they're poor. And on the opposite extreme, people say, it's because they're lazy, good for nothing, so that's the reason they're poor. If they'd only work hard, they'd be able to make it. What's the truth? The truth is somewhere in the, between those two extremes. Neither of those extremes are true. These people are sinners, right, so they're contributing part of it. But sometimes there are systems that are horrible. Guatemalans in Lonsdale are from a Mayan people group. They speak a language called Conjobal. The people in Lonsdale are part of the losing side of a civil war. The two largest groups of foreigners in Lonsdale are both, in their lifetime, all the adults went through a civil war, and they're both all from the losing side. The Burundians come from refugee camps. They're settled legally. They are part of the losing side. That's the neighboring country to Rwanda of the same genocide. And on the other side, the Guatemalans are Mayan people, and why do they have a civil war? Guess who owns almost all of the land in Guatemala? The, the other side, but the other side's a small side. It's smaller than the Mayan people. These people, it's, it's a country that's the size of the state of Tennessee with twice as many people, and almost all of the land, if you think about what Jim's been teaching you, you'll have red flags going off and warnings. This isn't what it's supposed to be. Almost all of the land is owned by the descendants of the conquistadors. 
And they've set up a system where if you work as a farmer, there's no way in your entire life if you saved half of every paycheck that you could afford enough in 70 years to buy a farm. The system works so well that now it's not 200 years. Their grievances of basically slavery go back more than twice that long. That's how long their land has been taken. They were really mad about it, and then the military, which is owned by the landowners, killed some of them, and some of them ran up to East Tennessee, and they live in Lonsdale now. Now, culturally, what do they need to hear? The gospel. They need biblical culture. Fornication, out of wedlock births, not a big problem in Guatemalans. Guatemalan Mayans in our community, the number one issue is alcoholism and a tied to that abuse. Almost all of those men were abused by their dad and almost all of those men had alcoholic fathers. Gabino is in our church and let me tell you a little bit about Gabino. Gabino has been coming to our church irregularly now since our church started, but he's been very faithful for the last six weeks. And Gabino is now wanting to be a member of our church and minister to others. As far as I know, 40 plus families in Lonsdale, Gabino is the only evangelical Conhobal speaking man. He's the only one. His kids, some of them have gotten saved in our program, some of them aren't Christians. But I've known his kids for years. Our passport to speak with them was relational. We took care of them. We fed them now for a couple years, most of their dinners. But Gabino, as he was being equipped, as he was studying, was intimidated, and I finally got to the root of it. He didn't want to serve in the church every time I asked him, could you do a Bible study? No, 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 no. He thought he had to do it in English. And now Gabino knows that what I'm asking him to do is to minister in Conhobal. And I said, Gabino, if you and I want to go talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done in our life at the basketball court where all the Guatemalans gather, who's going to be more effective, me or you? He looked down. I said, Gabino, I really need you to answer. He said, I will. I will. And so Gabino is now ministering in his own language to his own people, and he's doing it in connection with us. And Gabino is my brother. Gabino is my brother. And by the way, policy-wise, he's my brother who's here illegally. And Can I tell you guys policy? I'm going to get on policy for one second. This might be just. It might not be. I'll tell you why I care about it. I think that if you haven't committed other crimes like a DUI and whatever else, it would be fine to legalize you if, caveat, You and your descendants can never receive welfare. Now, here's why I think that. Welfare's poison. Welfare's poison. And if you're here and you want to work and you're not in trouble, and you've been here 10 years and you've never gotten in trouble, you're not the kind of person that I'm really worried about coming to America. You're going to ruin America. But guess what I am worried about? Because I'm working with those kids every day. If those kids all get on welfare, do you think that they're going to all be like their parents? Are they going to work hard? Are they going to live the American dream? No. They're going to be alcoholics who are on welfare. Okay? Welfare is poisonous to those families. It is absolutely poisonous to those families. Guess what people group of the four in Lonsdale is the worst off? African Americans, white people, Guatemalans, Burundians. It's the white people. 
If you see a little old lady in Lonsdale, 60 plus, chances are she's my sister in Christ. Wonderful lady. I've, as I've gone door to door and prayed with people, tons of sweet Christians there. If you see a guy who's 40 and under, chances are over 90% that that guy's a drug addict. Almost every white person left in Lonsdale is a drug addict. Culturally, the closest groups in Lonsdale are the poor white people and the poor black people, African-Americans. And culturally, the things they have in common is tremendous sexual immorality, tremendous drug addiction, uh, and they're all on welfare, which is enabling everything else. And by the way, subsidizing in a policy sense than making sinful choices. You know what happens if you're on welfare and you start saving money? You lose your welfare. You know what happens if you're on welfare and you get a raise at your job? You lose welfare. But what happens if you sell weed? Nothing. You get, to, you get free housing, free food, and now you get extra money to spend on shoes or whatever other absurd lie that you've believed in terms of materialism should be valuable and important and give you status. Please pray for us. Pray for our church. Pray for our ministry. Um, it is... Um, <laughs> What we're asking people to do from West Knoxville is come to our church and serve in the inner city in a housing project area. Um, we don't have great kids programs and we don't plan on ever having great kids programs because um, the focus of our church is called to serve in Lonsdale. Um, but relationally, God is transforming lives and it's very encouraging to see. So please keep us in your prayers. Wow, thank you. We've... We've got to close. You heard a lot of threads in what Clayton said that, have, that carry through what we've been talking about for months now, beginning with the fallen human heart. That's where we began. So pray about what you've heard. Think about what you've heard. Think about what we've thought about. Think about how God's good news, which includes a law written on our hearts that brings us to repentance, that allows change. Think about how that applies. We're going to continue this process next week. This is, this is too good and rich to cut short. We're going to hear... We're going to hear from Brother Frank, I, there are others, anybody that would like to share in this. And, and again, we're, we want to put wheels on this in terms of, okay, what does this mean? And as David said, the brokenness can be right next door to us. As Clayton said, sometimes we may be called to go seek it out. So let's let God speak to us each individually in our spirits. Both said something very, very, very important. That'll be the very last thing we think about. Two admonitions in the law of God. One in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. The other, the prophetic application of that in Ezekiel 3.18. Essentially say the same thing. If we see someone in sin and we don't tell them the bad news, 
then we do not love them. Now, that's not an accusatory word that requires permission granting that's based upon relationship and suffering with and being inconvenienced for the gospel. And that, I'm convinced, I know in my own spirit will only come when I am truly repentant and joyful because of what that repentance implies. So thank you all. It's been a good morning. Thanks.